Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates, Send in the Clowns, The Phoenix Tube Company, CelebrityTrips.com, The Law Firm of Decalator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and Relish Restaurant of Kings Park. Here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is a man who was one of the most feared sluggers in the game. He had 300 or better for three consecutive seasons during the prime of his career. Has a career 276 batting average with 307 home runs, 1,128 RBIs. He was selected an All-Star between 1975 and 1978 each year, including being the top vote-getter for the National League in 1978. He was also the MVP runner-up in 1975 when he led the National League with RBIs with 120, and in 1977 when he posted career highs in batting average with a 309 mark, home runs, 39, and 130 RBIs. He hit safely in every game and had at least one home run in each of the three National League Championship Series played by the Phillies from 76 to 78, and once held the consecutive hits in the game streak for championship series with 13. It is a thrill to welcome the man known as the Bull, the one and only Greg Luzinski to WLIE 540 AM Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Bull. Hey, Mark. How you doing? We're doing great. You know, as a catcher and a first baseman, you led your high school to three consecutive undefeated seasons, but you were also a star fullback and linebacker at Notre Dame High School in Chicago. And you get offers for a football scholarship to Notre Dame and Kansas City. How did you weigh the decision over one sport from the other, and what made you stick with baseball over football? Well, I, I don't know. I, there was only uh, back in '68. I think it was like second, third year of the draft, and uh, it, you know, it was it was a new thing to to baseball. And uh, I didn't realize uh, at that time at, uh, what position I'd be drafted in. And obviously, I went in the first round, and uh, so uh, I decided to sign with the Phillies. Uh, you know, I looked at the obviously the Phillies records. Uh, at that time, the team that they had, and uh, felt I could move pretty fast through the organization. So uh, I, uh, I went to uh, and signed a contract in '68, and uh, I, I moved relatively fast. Uh, to be honest with you, through the organization, uh, I spent three full years in the minors, and uh, that was it. I was in a big league. So uh, you know, I don't like to look back and say why did I choose one from the other because uh, I had pretty good success uh, playing baseball. Absolutely did. Now the first ten years of your life. You live within five miles of Wrigley Field. Uh, is that where you saw your first Major League Baseball game? Yeah, Wrigley Field was uh, 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 where I saw first one. I, uh, the funny thing about it is I remember, I think it was Father's Day, uh, way back, and this is when uh, Brewer was, uh, Billy Martin, uh, uh, went, when he was with Cincinnati, uh, charged the mound, and I was sitting right behind the Cincinnati dugout as a youngster, and I can remember Brewer getting hit by Martin, and that's one of the games that really stand out to me, and the other one was during batting practice, I was in the bleachers, and I caught a batting practice ball by one of the Phillies, and it was kind of ironic that eventually I signed with them. Wow, that's pretty wild. You know, it's very interesting, too, the way you were actually drafted by the Phillies. And you have to go back in time and remember when this was. This was not modern day. So basically, 
1960s, no internet, no cell phones, no handheld video cameras. The Philadelphia Phillies Midwest scout at that point was a 66-year-old Bruce Constanter. He was unable to watch you play live due due to a serious illness. The Phillies were alerted to your potential by Mike Vukovic, who was a neighbor of your high school coach. Vukovic was also served in the Army together with Bob Carpenter. And because of that... Paul Owens, the Phillies farm director, contracted film of every move you made on the diamond. So I'm wondering, back in the day, scouts kind of blended in, in in the stands and you weren't really that aware of them. But were you aware that there was a film crew following you? And did that put added pressure on you as a high school kid? Well, uh, you know, that really happened kind of the, the week before the draft, to be honest with you. Uh, a guy by the name of Patty Cottrell came from, uh, flew in from California. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't really pay attention. I, I did take batting practice one day with uh, Patty Cottrell taking those films. And then also, uh, uh, I didn't really know, but uh, he, he obviously took took game footage of me. And uh, Paul Owens uh, really never saw me play in person. And uh, uh, he said he drafted me off scene with the, what those films were. But uh, it was a pretty interesting draft day for me because, uh, you know, uh, the New York Yankees were interested and uh, basically said that it was uh, between me and uh, uh, another catcher that uh, went to college. And that catcher... Uh, turned out to be Thurman Munson. So, uh, you know, when I look back at it, uh, it was a very exciting day for me. How disappointed were you, this is A.J. Carter, that the Cubs, your hometown team, did not show any interest? Uh, Well, you know, that happens, obviously. Uh, I think it was an Oscar Gamble uh, was drafted by him that year. Uh, You know, some some teams, you know, have have a history of looking for certain type players, obviously, and uh, I wasn't uh, supposedly in the fit for them. So, uh, you know, I, I'm like I said, I I, I look back, and uh, all good things happened to me being in Philadelphia, and uh, obviously I, I left Philadelphia in '81 and went to Chicago for four years uh, to the White Sox, the other side of town. But uh, you know, I consider myself a Philly. You know, it's interesting here in New York when we talk about these drafts. Uh, you know, the Yankees did okay with Thurman Munson, right. that's for sure. But for us Met fans, the number one, the Mets had the number one pick that year. Okay, and yeah, they Steve went with Shulcott year. No, that was not. You know, that was, that was a different. Uh, one. Tim Foley, yeah, Tim, Tim Foley, another Tim high schooler, Foley not quite year. as good as Greg, obviously. So, you know, as you mentioned, you make it through the Phillies organization rather quick. Um, as a 17-year-old, you find yourself playing for the short season uh, urine South Dakota Phillies, where you led the Northern League with 13 home runs, 43 RBIs. The manager at the time said this about you. He is one of the best hitting prospects I ever saw. Ironically, that manager was Dallas Green, so I assume your relationship with him as a 17-year-old was a little different than that as a 29-year-old. <laughs> well, Dallas was a little bit different. I knew what to kind of expect him when he took over the ball club. Obviously, he was, uh, you know, even uh, in Huron, he was uh, he was into discipline, uh, uh, do- doing uh, the right things on the field, off the field, and uh, you know, he let you know it. I mean, uh, I'm sure the. Uh, people of New York know because he managed both the Yankees and the Mets and uh, you know he had that type of voice that would penetrate and go through you but uh, you know Dallas uh, commanded respect and he wanted you to play the game the right way uh, I think uh, there's no question that uh, in 1980 uh, when we won the World Series uh, beating Kansas City that uh, was a big factor in the fact that you know he was there in 79 uh, which we we didn't win obviously the, the World Series or were in the playoffs but uh, got to 
other players got to know him a lot better and what to expect from him. But uh, uh, there's no question he ran it, he raved, but uh, he pulled for every guy on that team, and I think he pulled us together for our last big hurrah in 1980. You know, from 1969 to 1971, you dominate at each level of the minors, earning you the label as a can't-miss prospect. You're an all-star in the Carolina, Eastern, and Pacific Coast Leagues. You're among, if not the top league leaders in home runs, RBIs. People talk about Mickey Mantle's 500-foot home runs, Aaron Judge's home run derby shots, but people still talk about your May 2nd, 1970 bomb against the Manchester Yankees with a 500-foot-plus home run that cleared an advertising sign atop the scoreboard and left center field. You look today at the amount of 490 plus home runs and you look at the size of some of these guys that are hitting them. What do you think has changed in the game that back then the the 500 home foot home run was basically almost like a no-hitter right. and here every night on ESPN with their stat cast they're showing another, you know, 490 485 to 500 foot shot. Well, obviously, some of these players are bigger, stronger. Uh, you look at Aaron Judge, what's he, uh, 6'8", uh, 265, 70 pounds. So, uh, you know, there's uh, there's a massive man right there. But I think the game's changed in the fact that I think it's like any other thing. You know, you look at these golfers and you wonder when you see a little guy out there and he's hitting this ball 320 yards down the down the fairway. Uh, you know, when you look at the clubs, you look at the, uh, the difference in them. And I think, you know, when I played baseball, there was two that companies. There was uh, Louisville and the Adirondack. Uh, now there's uh, quite a few uh, different bat companies. I mean, a lot of them. There's bats out there I've never heard of. And uh, we also had a, a, a rule on lacquer, how your bat could be lacquered. And I'm not sure uh, to this day if, uh, if if that's the same. And again, you know, we, we used the uh, you know, Louisville used an ash bat, and they're using a you know a maple bat, which seems to me, when I've seen them, to be a lot harder. So I, I contribute a lot of this. The distance is not only to the raw ability of the players, but also to the improved equipment. Uh, and I don't think there's any question that baseball is better. If you just tuned in, we're talking to Philadelphia, Philly, Chicago White Sox legend Greg Luzinski. We you talk about the bats, and the bats are different. There's a lot of talk this year that maybe the balls are juiced. Do you buy the theory that the balls are juiced? Yeah, that's contributing to the long home runs. Well, the commissioner said it's been tested, <laughs> and it's uh, and it, and it, within the rules of the or parameters of the baseball. But uh, like you said, there seems to be a, a lot of home runs that have been hit a, hit a long way. And you know, nowadays uh, uh, it's a lot different. Every every ballpark you go to is programmed. There's, there's, there's a program out there, and when when that ball hits, they know the exact distance at the inning. The computer spits it out to him right away. So if, say, for instance, it's 375, the right center field, and that ball goes over the fence and it goes to 380, they know that right away because of the projections of the ballpark. So I think in today's game that that's been a big thing. I think, you know, it's also, you know, obviously for TV, radio, and in the media, everybody gets a kick out of seeing that long drive and home run. But I've always said just to get them over, I mean, it's one run and how many RBIs with guys on base. It doesn't matter whether you hit them 500 feet or you hit them 390. It's also interesting that I'm 57 years old, so I saw you in your prime, and I remember, and, you know, you always thought of Greg Luzinski, the bull, and certain guys, like for me, like 
Harmon Killebrew were these monster men. And you take a look at it, and I went back, and I couldn't believe it. That first of all, one of the things, you know, baseball uh, reference has you listed uh, your playing days as 6-1-2-20. You look at that in comparison, that right now, if you look at every Major League Baseball team, Every single team, with the exception of the Blue Jays, all average six foot two or six one. That's their yeah. average player. Right. Okay. So and take the standard pitcher is six four. The standard, you know. Right. So short shortstops are six one. Right. So and, and you take a look at the athleticism. But I'm thinking, like, who gave you the name of the bull first of all, and how did it stick? And do you remember? Did did you feel much bigger? Because as a fan, you always seen bigger than every single guy on every team you faced. Well. You know, the bull came from uh, being in the minor leagues, and uh, I came up to the uh, spring training and uh, obviously took batting practice. I took batting practice in 68 with them. They were in Wrigley Field after I was drafted, and uh, uh, one of the riders, after I hit a few balls on the street, uh, came up uh, came up with that name and said it was bull. It was kind of kind of thing that stuck with me through uh, minor leagues and obviously the major leagues. So uh, uh, it's just one, one of those things that uh, – Hey, they call me Bull more than they call me Craig. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you hit uh, your your three twenty five. Um, oh, actually, your three twenty five, three thirty three home runs, hundred and twenty RBI batting line earned you the nineteen seventy Eastern League Louisville Slugger Award and a September call up, which in fact I believe I. I couldn't dig out because I have basically most of my programs from when I was a kid of all the Met games I went to, and I did go to a Met Philly doubleheader in September, so I'm fairly sure I was there. Um, second game of a doubleheader against the Mets, seventh inning, Phillies trailing three to one. Manager Frank Lucchese inserts you as a pinch hitter for Grant Jackson. What do you remember most about your first major league at bat, walking up to the mound, you know, the plate, and on the mound is Met pitcher Ray Sadecki. Well, I think Sadecki was having a big night. He was a left-hander uh, that was having a real big night. I, I think he had quite a few strikeouts that, that night. And uh, obviously you're nervous, uh, you know, and uh, I, being a pinch hitter is something that I wasn't used to. I wasn't used to being in a, that situation where uh, you just go up there and, and face a guy for the first time and, uh, act, you know, being a little nervous, not knowing exactly what the guy was throwing, even though I just watched him for, you know, innings before that. You know, it's not an easy thing. And, uh, well, there's no question I was nervous. And uh, I did, uh, I can't remember if I was his 11th or 12th strikeout, so I was somewhere in there. But, uh, you know, Ray was uh, throwing the ball pretty good. And uh, I remember he threw me a breaking ball down and in, and I, I swung and missed. So, you know, I did that quite a few times during my career. But right. also when I made t- contact, I had pretty good success. So it took you a couple of days till you got your first major league hit. What do you remember about that? Well, believe it or not, that was against uh, Carl Morton and uh, Jerry Park. And uh, people won't believe this, but I actually got an infield hit. Uh, I had a run like hell to beat the ball out. Uh, but uh, I got an infield hit on a ball that was hit up the middle. And, uh, uh, you know, for me, a guy that uh, was an offensive player and a guy that was supposed to hit home runs, I guess to get an infield hit was uh, kind of unique. Of course, in Jerry Park, which was not the <laughs> largest ballpark in the league. So also, you know, it's also interesting because we, we have this going on here in New York with one of the, the Mets' top prospects, Ahmed Rosario, who everyone, by all accounts and by his own admission, feels that he can't prove anything more in the minors and he wants to be called up. 
you know, after your call up that first year, the following season you get into eight games, fifteen at bats in the in the in the majors in nineteen seventy. You find yourself in the minors again, giving that the nineteen seventy Phillies finished seventy three and eighty eight in fifth place, and you had proved everything at every single level. What was that like that season going back in the minors and not being on the major league team? Well, uh, the reason I wasn't there was pretty obvious, uh, you know, somewhat to me because at that time I played first base. And the first baseman uh, at, that was on a major league level at that time was a guy by the name of Darren Johnson. Well, Darren Johnson played for Cincinnati, Atlanta, and obviously the Phillies, and uh, he was coming off uh, two or three years where he had, he had produced uh, 30 home runs. And, uh, close to 100 or over 100 RBI. So that was the spot I was supposed to take. But And obviously, like you said, they lost quite a few games. So when I was called up, uh, or I stayed in 71, but when I was called up in 70, they played me at first base, uh, or 71, they played me at first base the last uh, month of the season. And I think the difference for me was the idea that I knew I belonged there. I've been there before. I played eight, nine games. I saw what it was all about. So all I had to go out there do is play the game and let the, the ability shine through. And uh, basically what happened then is uh, Darren still stayed with our ball club, and uh, they asked me to move uh, to left field. But uh, they didn't ask me to do that to spring training. And uh, so uh, I, obviously I moved to left field. It was my way of getting to the big leagues, you know, as quick as I did. And obviously I, uh, I have a guy like uh, Darren Johnson take some of the pressure off you because he was uh, – Still producing uh, with some home runs, so uh, you know, gave us a couple guys in the lineup with a little bit of power. We're talking with Greg Luzinski here on WLIA Sports Talk New York. You, you talked about how you struck out a lot in addition to your hits. How different were things then? You talk, look at players today. Aaron Judge is one that comes to mind. Well, he's going to hit, you know, how many home runs? 50 home runs this year. He's going to hit 300, probably strike out 200 times. How different well, was the, it then in terms of strikeouts and the way it was reviewed and cut down in strikeouts before you can make it to the majors? Well, guess what? Uh, to be honest with you, you know, I, uh, when I struck out, I, I think my highest was 130. Yeah. I mean, yep. these guys, yeah. these guys today are going to approach, uh, you know, 200 strikeouts, uh, and there's quite a bit of it. I think the game has changed uh, as far as strikeouts go. I think uh, the swing has changed. I think uh, uh, the, the theory of swinging down through the ball no longer exists. Uh, when you see these guys now, they have more of an uppercut swing. They uh, analytics, sabermetrics tell you to hit the ball. In the air, uh, so uh, it, it's cha- it changed a lot. It's changed the game, and uh, you're going to get more strikeouts. Years ago, when you were down in the count and you're facing receiver, receiver wasn't going to throw th- throw you. You know, they they, they get ahead in the count, they're going to throw you off the plate away every now and then, brush you back inside. And most pitchers pitch down, or were taught taught to pitch down. Now, when you look at baseball, you watch it on TV. When you get these guys, excuse me, that are supposedly throwing as hard as they say. They get you one and two, and they go upstairs. They 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 pitch you, you know, pitch you above the belt. And when you see these guys with these uppercut swings and the bad head drop, there's no way they get on top of it. So it creates a lot of strikeouts. So and uh, also you've seen uh, the pay the the pay scale go up when when guys can hit the ball out of the ballpark, and it, it, it's gone from every it goes for every position on the field. You say that it's very interesting how the game has changed. I also look at the fact that when AJ and I were growing up and watched the game, the I, the only people I really ever remember were, was, and it was called the McCovey shift because that was the only player you know the teams well, would shift it was against. Also Ted Williams, Ted Williams Ted as well, Williams. obviously, yeah. but. 
that was when you were growing up. I didn't like, get it. Right, let so. the record reflect. I'm actually only two weeks older than right. Greg. Okay. So the interesting thing is now that you take a look at how many shifts are put into a game, and and you say that the big bucks now are being spent on the home run hitters, and it, it's unbelievable. You have rookies that are coming up at halfway through the season have thirty, you know, close thirty, and some of them very close to thirty home runs. Do you think now, because of the way the shift is put on, that the next wave of players might be the guys that are able to hit to all fields, that the swings will be tailored to be able to, to, to go with a pitch or, or go the opposite way? Well, I, th- I think that's all, all school, old school thinking, to be honest with you. Uh, most people are taught, you know, the reason they shift on you, and if they want you to go the other way, it's because they want to take away your strength, obviously. Uh, and and if, if I'm hitting the way I am, I, I don't think they, they could shift on me. They might play me to pull in the outfield. But the way I, I my approach was that the games play in the middle of the diamond, and I tried to go through, stay in the middle of the field now. And uh, uh, that's, that's how I played. I think the shifts hurt a lot of players. But if you, you, you're getting judged up there, and uh, his game is obviously to hit the ball out of the ballpark to drive the ball, I don't want him swinging the, swinging the bat to go to right field. So uh, teams have now changed that and, and gone to these shifts and uh, for, for defensive purpose to help the pitcher and uh, try to take away from the hitter, obviously, uh, his strengths. Now maybe I'm, I'm old school because I really think you should, the way to defeat the shift is to hit to the opposite field a few times so they can't shift on or you. Bunt. That's or bunt. Or bunt. Or bunt. Well, I mean, it, it's just, you know, uncool to do this. <laughs> Why do you think players well, they're, are they're, so stubborn? The, 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 prog- the problem is this is so programmed right now. They know exactly where you hit every ball, where to position you, uh, what the count was, and, and everything else to where uh, they have charts, and they've had charts for a long time. So they, they look at your spray charts, and that's how they're going to play you. So if, obviously, if you try to do that one or two times, there's there's going to be that one or two times. Uh, the other times where you, you're you're not going to do it, so they're, they're your spray charts are telling you, hey, we need to play this guy to pull. We need to we we need to uh, put put a shift on him. And now you now you see it quite frequently with almost everybody in the league. Now, as you became one of the feared hitters in baseball, the Phillies become one of the elite teams in baseball. September 26th, you delivered the decisive three-run homer against the Expos to clinch the Eastern Division title, the first Philadelphia flag in 26 years. It would mark the first of three consecutive years. Then the Phillies go out and sign free agent Pete Rose, whose presence is believed would help the team overcome those three consecutive eliminations in league championships. Uh, instead, that year, the Phillies go 84-78, and finish fourth. Danny Oza is fired, Dallas Green takes over. In 1980, I cannot believe there has not been an ESPN 30 for 30 because that team uh, is, you know, captured a championship in more than the Bronx Zoo. That team was somewhat dysfunctional. You guys had reports of illegal drug routes, uh, great veterans in the clubhouse, a, a very memorable National League Championship Series, four of the five games going into extra innings, and the, and the city got to celebrate its first pennant in 30 years after you win against the Royals. What Just so much happened in that year. What's your one takeaway? If someone asks you what's the thing you remember most about the 1980 Phillies, what would you say it is? Well, obviously, winning the World Series would be number one, but uh, that playoff series was probably one of the great, great playoff series in the you know history history of baseball. I think, except for the first game, everyone went to extra innings, and uh, you know it's a little bit different when they, you only have two divisions and uh, you only get one crack at it, and it's not uh, best out of 
best out of seven where you, you know you got a game to play with it. so it gets a little tougher but uh, you're right we had some characters on that <laughs> ball club and uh, uh, our minor league system proved to be very very strong and uh, come through for us uh, you know we had a pitcher named Marty Beister that went five and oh in September and uh, helped help us get to the playoffs I mean when you look back at that 80 club and we we had to go to Montreal and win and ended up winning a game in extra innings to, to clinch the division and I think it was one of the last Last series we played, uh, you know, uh, so we went we we went to the end to win that thing, and then obviously that that uh, series in Houston, and then finally it was a relief uh, after three playoffs uh, to finally get to the World Series, and then eventually be World Series champions. Again, we're talking with Greg the Bull Luzinski. Uh, after that championship season, you move on as you're purchased by the Chicago White Sox. You get to play uh, DH, and you have success there. After a playing career, you join Tony La Russa in Oakland as a hitting instructor, then Bob Boone as a coach with the Royals, as well as coaching both the baseball and football teams for Holy Cross High School in New Jersey. So I, I guess the question I have to ask you is, of all the managers you played for, Frank Lucchese, Paul Owens, Danny Ozark, Dallas Green, Tony La Russa, what parts of those managers, percentage-wise, do you think Greg Luzinski would be as a major league manager? Well, you know what? Uh, there's a little bit, I think, from from every one of them uh, that you can take. I, I, I think Dallas Green's got a lot of credit for the success, obviously, in the World Championship in 1980. But when Danny Ozark came over to our ball club from uh, Los Angeles, he instilled a lot of things in this team that were small that we didn't do. You know, and one of them would be hit a cutoff man, you know, throw the right base, uh, get a guy over, butt in the right situation, uh, know how to get a guy in from third, a, a situational hit. And I, I think he was a big part of our success. I mean, obviously we knew what Dallas Green did. Uh, he was an 80s uh, world champion. And then uh, 81 going to Chicago when uh, I was there with Tony La Russa, and he was a uh, young manager of the Chicago White Sox. I think uh, Tony, obviously, uh, is a Hall of Fame manager. Uh, learned a lot of baseball through him. Uh, and I, I, I could pay more attention, you might say, because I was a DH. And uh, But uh, Tony, uh, to me, was uh, really, really, really uh, ahead, of, ahead of his time. Uh, you know, right, left. Uh, he was constantly, uh, you know, playing with the pitchers. But uh, he, he he had the respect of uh, all the young young players in Chicago, and uh, they they were smart enough to bring some some of us veteran guys in to help them. So uh, uh, I'll see Tony next week in, in Chicago. I'm having dinner with him, and uh, it's always great to get together with him. But uh, I think when you're talking about a you know Hall of Fame manager like Tony, uh, that commands a lot of respect for myself. Uh, you know, I, I think he's one of the guys I try to model myself after. Probably not, not maybe not as much uh, in certain areas. Uh, he had a little bit more temper than I did. Uh, but uh, as far as uh, knowing the game, uh, he knows it inside and out. Well, when you are having dinner with him next week in Chicago, you might want to mention a former boss of his named Sandy Alderson probably is going to be in the market for a manager next season. He might want to give him a call. <laughs> Well, Tony's with the D-backs right I know. now, and uh, they're having a pretty good <laughs> yes, year. They and, are. Uh, I, I know, uh, uh, like I said, having dinner with him next week uh, with Jerry Reinsdorf in Chicago, and uh, uh, I think Tony's managing days are probably over. Uh, 
you know, he's uh, in the, in the front office, and he's he, he's up, and he just loves the game, and he stayed in it, and so uh, I respect him for that, and so hopefully he'll continue to bring knowledge to a lot of people. Lastly, we all know here in the New York area that Philadelphia is one of the toughest markets to play in any sport. It's a town that boosts Santa Claus in their parades as well. 1998, a plaque was mounted on the Wall of Fame in Citizen Bank Park, honoring you among the Philadelphia Phillies greats. What did that mean to you? And what has, you know, I know that at Philly's fantasy camp, I go to Met fantasy camp, but I speak to a lot of different guys that go to the different camps, that you are like one of the biggest attractions down there. What does it mean to rekindle that love affair with the Phillies fans? Well, I, you know, I, I've always had a great uh, love affair with the Phillies fans. In fact, I have uh, both barbecue in, in the ballpark, which uh, I'm out, I'm at usually every home game, uh, talking to the fans, uh, signing autographs, and uh, just be a blend in with the fan friendly Citizens Bank Park. So it's been unique for me. I mean, it, as far as the Wall of Fame goes, I think you you play to be a, a champion, and to be able to be honored and be on their Wall of Fame is uh, is obviously a, you know a great thing for me. And uh, obviously, uh, Pete Rose will be going into it for us uh, here in first or second week of August. So it's great to see and be amongst the greats of the Philadelphia Phillies. Awesome, Greg. Thank you so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. All right, guys. Uh, thank you, and uh, great show. Thank you. Greg Luzinski, the Bull, one of the most feared hitters of the 70s and 80s.